Hi, friends. It's a delight to be with you sharing in God's word. Uh, Let me pray for us as we dive in. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would sanctify us by the truth of your word, that we might love you more dearly and follow you more closely. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, what's your experience of fitting in in this world and making friends? It's a deep need that we have, isn't it, to make friends. Uh, I can remember as a kid, I, I grew up in Pakistan and spent my childhood there. And then when we came back to Australia, when I was 15 years old, I felt like a total outsider. I didn't know any of the cultural references, any of the in-jokes. I didn't know the songs, the bands, the sporting heroes. And I felt like an outsider. And it's not pleasant, is it? (laughs) Maybe some of you have a similar experience. We long for friendship, for connection, to feel like we fit in, that we're valued. And Jesus, in John 15 and 16, is going to talk to us about friendship. Friendship with him and what that means. And he's going to warn us that friendship with him comes at a cost. Specifically, Jesus says, friendship with him means hatred from the world. When we're friends with Jesus, we will be hated by the world. Read verses 18 to 20 again with me. Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. The overriding message that Jesus wants to convey to his followers here in this passage is that being a friend of his means you will be hated and opposed by the world. Now, why? Why will the world hate us? I think this passage gives two very clear reasons why the world will hate Christians. The first is... The world hated Jesus first. Jesus makes that explicit. They will hate you because they hated me first. Now, we need to remember the context of Jesus' words here. He is speaking to his disciples in the upper room. He's on the eve of his betrayal and execution. He is about to die, the ultimate persecution. And beyond that, of course, Jesus knows He's about to ascend to the Father and leave his disciples as his representatives in the world. And so Jesus knows that he is, in a sense, passing the baton on to his disciples as he leaves them as his representatives. And he knows, too, that the way that the crowds have treated him and responded to him will now be the way that they respond to his representatives. And so he says, 
the servants are not greater than the master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you too. Because you are my servants, my witnesses. They'll treat you this way because of my name, he says in verse 21. The world will hate us. Why? Because the world hated Jesus first. As I said, I grew up in uh, Pakistan. And uh, in Pakistan, there are various weird and wonderful creatures. And uh, one of the things I used to love to do in our house was go into our kitchen at night and turn on the light. And as I did that, I would see and hear the cockroaches and scorpions that lived in our kitchen scuttle away into the darkness, trying desperately to get away from the light. And at the same time, any moths that were in our house would flood into the room and cram around the light bulb. The one act of turning on the light had these drastically different responses from these creatures. And so it is with Jesus. He is a dividing figure. We see that in his ministry, don't we? People were either crowding around him desperately trying to hear his every word, or they were actively plotting to kill him. Jesus is totally polarizing. And in what he says here, it's clear that there's no middle ground. You're either a friend of Jesus or you are part of the world that hates him. And so Jesus warns us that that polarizing reaction that he receives will now also be the reaction that we get from people. And he says, so if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Similarly, if they kept my word, they'll also keep yours. So we will get some people who respond warmly to us and warmly to the gospel, but we'll also get those who hate us. Why? Because they hated Jesus first. The second reason that Jesus gives us why the world will hate believers is because of the holy and loving character of their lives. Jesus says in verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. If you were like the world, the world would love you, but you're not like the world. I've chosen you out of the world. In gospel perspective, there are only two types of people. There are those who are dead in their sins and transgressions. And there are those of us who used to be like that, but have now been raised to new life with Christ. Our old sinful person is dead and buried. And we are raised to a new life of radical holiness and love. You know, it's no accident that in the immediate context in John 15, Jesus has just finished talking about the sort of fruit that we are to bear as believers. Do you remember from last week what that fruit was? The fruit of holiness, obedience, and the fruit of love for one another. Jesus wants us to know <laughs> that the way we live as disciples of his will alienate the world. They will see our radical love and holiness and be put to shame by it. And so they will despise us. Uh, there's a famous story about the Roman Emperor Julian, who lived in the fourth century AD. And Julian 
believe it or not, was raised as a Christian. And yet he rejected faith in Jesus and turned back to Roman paganism. And he, in his writings, he laments the growth of Christianity because it dragged people away from the Roman gods. And this is what he says. Atheism, the Romans called Christians atheists because they refused to worship the many Roman gods. He says, atheism has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there's not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. Friends, isn't this a fantastic insight into the behavior of the early church? Their love for the other was so visible that the watching, unbelieving world was ashamed. And here we have the Roman emperor himself expressing the scandal of it and the shame that he feels over this situation. Jesus wants us to know that our lives ought to be characterized by this scandalous love and holiness. And when it is, the world will feel ashamed and they will hate us for it. What about us, friends? Let's stop right here and ask ourselves what our lives look like. As you hear Jesus say, the world will hate you because of me and because you've been chosen out of the world and your life has been transformed. What goes through your mind? It's possible that you're thinking, gosh, well, this doesn't ring true in my experience. I don't face this hatred and this sort of persecution. I, I don't face it in my daily life. Friends, if we are thinking that, then I wonder if this is a reminder and a challenge to us of how far we might be from the radical holiness and love that Jesus envisaged would characterize our lives. Is it possible that there are some of us who are so anxious to be liked, we desire so much to be accepted, to make friends, to feel at home, that we have allowed ourselves to drift away from friendship with Jesus and into friendship with the world again? What does your life look like? I have to confess to you, that very often my life doesn't look very different to my unbelieving neighbours. And if that's the case in our lives, friends, of course we won't face opposition because people can't tell that we're friends with Jesus at all. What do our lives look like? Are we simply watching the same godless TV shows as everyone else? Are we laughing at the same crude jokes as everyone else? Are we joining in the same gossip and slander? What's our behavior like on social media? Friends, are you living out friendship with Jesus? Or have you allowed yourself, even without realizing it maybe, to slide more towards friendship with the world? 
These words of Jesus come as a warning to us, don't they? Look with me at chapter 16, verse 1. Jesus says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. That's the danger that we might so desire to fit in and find friendship that we drift into friendship with the world and away from Christ. Or that we might fear persecution so much that the same thing happens. And so, friends, let's examine ourselves and ask how our discipleship is going. Are we living out our friendship with Jesus? Well, so far, friends, this passage has been pretty heavy and pessimistic, hasn't it? And maybe you're sitting there thinking, gosh, isn't there any good news? Aren't there any good aspects to friendship with Jesus? Or is it all just a dire prediction of persecution and hatred? (laughs) Well, friends, of course, there's good news. And the first bit of good news is that God is in control. God is in control. You know, it feels totally overwhelming when we read Jesus' words here, doesn't it? All this talk of persecution and hatred. I don't know about you, but as I read these words, I start to feel like a victim. It starts to feel like my life is simply in the hands of evildoers, that I'm at the mercy of the world. But friends, nothing could be further from the truth. Because Jesus very clearly lets us know here that God is the one who's in control. Look at verses 22 and 25. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. The way Jesus speaks here is a bit unusual, isn't it? What does he mean uh, by saying that if he hadn't spoken to the Jews and done great works in front of them, they wouldn't have been guilty of sin? Well, of course, Jesus doesn't mean that they were sinless before he arrived. Uh, there's plenty of times here in the Gospel of John where Jesus is recording, recorded talking about the universal nature of sin. Now, what Jesus is saying here is that before he arrived, they weren't guilty of the specific sin of rejecting him. But now that he has revealed himself, now that he has spoken and done great works in front of them, they have hated him. And so they stand condemned. He says God counts them guilty. And so, friends, this is the first encouragement that you and I can take from this passage. God is in control. He does not overlook sin and evil. He does not overlook the rejection and hatred of Jesus. He doesn't overlook the rejection and hatred of God's people. God condemns it and the world stands guilty before him. God does not ignore evil. He has pronounced judgment upon it. But Jesus gets even more explicit in these verses, doesn't he? Because in verse 25, he tells us that the world's hatred of him is not a sign that God has lost control of the world. No, far from it. 
Jesus says, in fact, that the world's hatred of him is a fulfillment of God's word. And he quotes Psalm 69 and he says, the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Now, Psalm 69 is a psalm of David. And David, of course, is the king who God promised that one day the Messiah, the eternal king, would come in his family line. This is a messianic psalm, and it laments the way that God's people are hated by an unbelieving world. It's a psalm that calls on God to judge, and it's a psalm that ultimately looks forward to God's victory over evil. And so as Jesus quotes this psalm and says this is to fulfill the law, he's saying God is in control. We are not to look at the hatred and persecution of the world and think for one moment that we are at the mercy of the world, that the world is spinning out of control. No, this is all to fulfill God's word. And it's true in our lives because in chapter 16, verse 4, Jesus says, I've said these things to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. You see, Jesus is saying, when you're persecuted, remember that I told you these things. It's all a fulfillment of my word. God is in control, not the world. So, friends, how are you feeling about the world around you? Do you feel like things are out of control? As you see uh, society move further and further away from the influence of the Christian gospel, as we see our governments become more and more secular and uninterested in a Christian ethic or worldview? Do you feel anxious? Do you feel worried about that? I think it's natural to. And yet Jesus wants us to know that God is in control. We are not at the mercy of a godless system. Yes, persecution will come. But Jesus reassures us that God is sovereign over it all. He knows, he watches, he sees. So take heart. He is in control. And friends, the final word of encouragement that Jesus has for us is that God is with us. Let's read verses 26 and 27. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. You know, it's wonderful that at the same time as Jesus warns us about the hatred the world is going to have towards God's people, Jesus promises us that he will send the Holy Spirit to be with us through it all. You know, as I read this passage and I hear Jesus' warnings about persecutions, one of my main anxieties is the question, would I be able to stand up to real persecution? Or will I be like one of those ones that Jesus talks about falling away? History is full of inspiring stories about heroes of the faith who stood up for Jesus, even to the point of death, through torture and everything. But as I hear those stories, I feel dreadfully weak. I don't know how it is for you, but I have to confess to you, friends, 
that I'm one of those ones who shies away from talking about Jesus when I'm in a social situation that I think talk about Jesus will make it awkward. There'll be an embarrassed silence. Or maybe I'll offend someone else in the room who has different beliefs to me. I start to feel an anxiety and I shy away from t witnessing to Jesus. I can't even stand up to peer pressure, let alone torture, and I feel terribly weak. What is the answer? How can I testify to Jesus when I'm so pathetically weak? Well, Jesus gives us the answer, doesn't he? And as usual, it's all a gift of God's grace. Jesus will give us the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that will witness to Jesus in us and through us. It's the Holy Spirit that will give us the words and empower us with boldness to witness to Jesus. Isn't this wonderful, friends? Yes, sure, the, the task ahead of us is daunting. Sure, the persecutions that are coming are daunting. And yet it's God himself who meets the needs of the task. It's God himself, ultimately, who fulfills the task of witnessing to a hostile world with the good news of the gospel. He is with us, living by his spirit in us, and he is able by his spirit to complete the work in and through us that he has started. I said earlier that Jesus quotes here from Psalm 69, which laments the way that God's people are hated by the world. But let me read to you how that psalm ends. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah, and people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. Friends, there's a day coming when we will live in Zion with Jesus, in the new heavens and the new earth with him, where there will be no more evil and hatred and persecution. But this is not just pie in the sky when you die, is it, friends? No, friends, we are able now to withstand persecution. We are able now to live lives of radical holiness and love. We are able now to witness to Jesus. Why? Not because of any strength in us. Absolutely not. No, we are able because God is in control. Our lives are not in the hands of those who would seek to bring us down. Our lives are in God's hands. He is in control. And we are able, fundamentally, because God is with us, living in us by his spirit, empowering us to endure and faithfully witness to Jesus to the very end. Let me pray that that would be true of each one of us. Father God, fill us with your spirit, we pray 
that we might boldly proclaim your gospel with our words and with our holy and loving lives. Help us to be lights that shine in this dark world. And we pray, Lord Jesus, uh, that you would empower us by your spirit to speak and proclaim boldly, even under persecution, even in the face of hatred and opposition. Complete your work in us, we pray. Amen.